You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guys Show. I am pretty excited to have some, some outstanding, talented professionals and friends, Peter and Scott with Earn2 Communications. Thank you both for joining me. I think actually, so I want to really tee this up for the audience. This is the first time that I've had two partners on the show together. It'll be fun and we'll make sure, you know, we don't fight over who gets to talk the most. We're, we're excited to break some new ground with you here. Awesome. Yeah, no. So, uh, well, then we got we to gotta get the hardball hard questions out of the way first. So I'm going to, I'll let you guys answer it. Whoever wants to go first, doesn't matter. But the first question, very, very important. What food will you not eat under any circumstances? Great. Uh, this is Peter here. I'll introduce myself so you can, people can tell our voices apart. Uh, <laughs> I am famously somebody, or not famously, but I am somebody who eats almost everything, but the one food I just do not tolerate and do not enjoy are green beans consistent okay. throughout my life. So, yeah. All right. That's a first. We, we just did a uh, takeout order and they inadvertently gave us green beans. So, so, so guess who did not eat those? Wow. Yeah. What about you, Scott? Uh, chickpeas. Okay. Not a chickpea. Green beans guy. and chickpeas. It's a so I will say the, the, both of those answers are new. So- but I will, right, eat, I, like I will eat hummus for what it's worth, which is a, <laughs> which means, which means technically you will eat them under a circumstance. Right. They just round. <laughs> right. In, in certain formats. All right. Um, if you could be a superhero, what superpower would you want to have? So I'm going to say the ability to not have to sleep. Okay. Just how much, how much more productive, how much more things you can experience if you didn't have to, if you didn't have to sleep to stay energized. Okay. I like it. Uh, I think I'm going to go with sleeping 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> no, um, I think I, I'll go with the time travel, you know, travel back in time, meet some people who made some history and, and those who didn't perhaps would be even more interesting. Okay. All right. I like it. Would you rather visit the bottom of the ocean or outer space? See, we talked this through ahead of time. We have different answers. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm much more of a, an explore outer space guy. Um, a, because um, I don't like being underwater that much. And B, I think there's just some amazing things to see and experience up there. I'm going underwater. Yeah, I think the, the ocean is a fascinating place and just intrigues me a bit more than space. And I, I, I saw a great... Piece on Netflix, My Octopus Teacher. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a great documentary about a guy who spends a year with an octopus. Wow. And, uh, if I could do the same, it'd be great. That sounds fascinating. It I is. saw maybe just regular news where there was like an octopus that was painting, like literally doing a painting or something. I mean, I know that they're ridiculously smart, but super, super interesting. Okay. All right. That's a good recommendation. And it, it goes right into the, the last question. Besides this one, of course, what podcast would you like to recommend to the audience? So I'll go with, uh, it's not a, a super uh, well-known one, but uh, we work with a client who's been doing a podcast for about 10 years now uh, called no Tony, Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. And it covers all 
different types of fundraising and nonprofit management. Um, he, he's really entertaining, brings on some great guests and it provides some great advice, which really aligns well with a lot of what we're interested in, in terms of working with nonprofits and associations. So that's going to be my choice on this one. Yeah, I'm not a huge podcast guy. I want to, I'm growing my, my interest. I do listen to the Orvis Fly Fishing podcast. I don't know how relevant that is. Uh, but This American Life, I like that. Some great stories there. So You know what? That, that, it's interesting you say that, Scott, because my wife loves that one as well. Yeah. So that one, yeah, I, I've, I've partaken of that from time to time. And it is, they, they do a really good job. And they definitely have a, an interesting framework that they apply and, and you get some very good stories and and Peter the one you mentioned 10 years so the doing a podcast before mm-hmm. podcasting was cool that's pretty awesome that's right that's right um and I at this was back in my media days when he started I worked at the Chronicle of Philanthropy and um was in charge of all of their online properties and I actually had him doing a podcast for me there and I I hosted a podcast way back in the day so it's nice to be nice to be on the other side of the microphone for this one yeah, bringing it full circle. Well, let's let's go ahead. Tell the audience about yourselves and your company and what you all do and what your your professional superpowers are today. Okay, great. Well, we'll tell the story of our business shortly. I guess it probably makes sense for each of us to introduce ourselves first, though. So, please. I'm Peter Panapento. I am one of the co-founders of Turn Two Communications. Um, spent about 20 years working as a journalist, uh, both for community and and local newspapers, and then later as I just mentioned at the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which is the um, the newspaper for the nonprofit world. So I got to really know the nonprofit and foundation world really well working there. After leaving journalism, I actually worked um, as an executive at, a, at an association for a while, uh, the Council on Foundations, which is the association for private and community and corporate foundations. And uh after leaving that role, started doing uh, PR and media and communications work as a consultant, working with a lot of foundations, nonprofits, and associations. So Scott Westcott here. Started my career out in journalism, actually at a weekly newspaper in suburban Philadelphia. So worked my way up in the newspaper business, uh, was a journalist for a good 10 years or so, wrote for a lot of magazines on a wide range of subjects, everything from Outdoor Life to Women's Day magazine, so kind of all across the board. All right. From journalism, I went to uh, Erie Insurance Group and I was in corporate communications there and then jumped to KeyBank where I was in executive communications. So I was writing a lot of CEO communications, speeches and presentations. And it was right during the financial crisis. Actually, I got there in July of 2008 and the bottom fell right (laughs) about then. Perfect timing. (laughs) It was ideal. (laughs) It really was. Um, But it was a fascinating learning experience for sure, you know, uh, just kind of trying to communicate through that, um, you know, National City Bank was right across the street from us and they basically uh, went under, but Key Bank survived. And uh, so, but we, I learned a lot communicating through that experience. From there, I went out on my own, then worked for a, a company that does investor relations for banks and um, some small businesses. And then Peter and I teamed up and it's been coming up on five years, right? That's right. So yeah, so Scott and I, um, we both told you our backgrounds. We didn't talk about the fact that we intersected uh, back in uh, the early 2000s at the Erie Times News, which is a daily newspaper in Erie, Pennsylvania. And Scott and I worked together a lot. We became really good friends and we both kind of ended up doing consulting work. And we decided about five years ago that it made sense to rather than kind of 
dividing and conquering that we would be stronger together. And that's when we formed Turn 2 Communications. And our real specialty now is really providing media relations and communications support to foundations, nonprofits, and associations that serve the nonprofit world, essentially. So we do a lot of work with organizations like the Community Foundation Public Awareness Initiative, which is an association of about 130 community foundations. We work with the Southeastern Council of Foundations. We work with some uh, affinity groups and and uh, trade groups that uh, that support nonprofit fundraisers. So we've done a lot of work in this space and and really uh, are really passionate about trying to help organizations tell their stories better and get better media coverage. I want to pick up on what you just said because I to me um, as as someone who doesn't have the same background but at least has a BA in journalism and, and, and certainly appreciation for communication. I feel like PR is maybe a misnomer. And I, and I like how you, what you just said and also, you know, what you have on your website. It's, it's about, you know, compelling and engaging stories, right? It's, it's, it's not this very, I think, buttoned up crisis management or a lot of the other, I mean, I'm sure I know obviously all of that, that uh, is, is a part of things, but it sounds like it's really about really effective storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I mean, one constant, I think, through time has been, you know, humans communicate through story, you know, even though we, we find new and different ways to tell that story. I mean, sometimes it's now been uh, boiled down to a, a, you know, a tweet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the reality is that stories are what really, uh, I mean, we're, we're wired to listen to stories, we're wired to learn through stories. And, you know, that's what I think takes PR to the next level when you're able to, to position something in a way that really connects with people and, and has some story behind it. Well, yeah. And I think, it, you know, to that point, it, it's, it's, it is a lot more about not just connecting the information that we want to deliver, which is important, but, but right. It, it, it's almost having that audience first mentality of this is what I want them to connect with, but how am I going to deliver it so that they can digest it more effectively? Yeah, that's very true. And I think the, the point that you make about making it audience focused is really key. So much of communications or, or, or uh, pro- improperly executed communications is really about making, making the storytelling about you and making it making kind of the language you use, the insider language that you use when you talk about your work in the office and not really thinking about, all right, who do we really want to connect with? What's going to add value to their lives in terms of hearing the story? And how do I deliver it in a way where it's actually going to resonate with them and they're going to see themselves in it and understand the message? You know, we all get kind of trapped in our jargon and kind of the stuff that really matters to us. But if um, if you make that the center of how you talk about your work or how you pitch your story to the media, it, chances are it's not going to land in, in the same way that if you really take the steps and, and really try to focus on who your audience is and what they care about. No, I think that that's so, yeah, that's such a good point. I've wanted to ask this because I'm just interested and, and you can share, but maybe redact names if necessary. But what is, what would you say the craziest PR story you ever had the privilege of seeing or being a part of? Well, we gave it some thought and really crazy didn't come to mind, to be honest. <laughs> you know, so we, we were kind of, we're, we're kicking around some ideas. I mean, I, I have a story that I think is, you know, kind of relevant to this question. I wouldn't say it's necessarily crazy, but it, it's kind of an example of a you know, a PR situation that, that could have gone awry. Um, 
and this this goes way back when I was a reporter at the Erie Times News, and there was a a guy who was a local executive who had retired, and then he started a charter fishing boat, and he wanted to get some publicity around his boat, um, and he had kind of a sidekick who was kind of the first mate on this trip. So anyway, I went out with them on this boat trip to basically do a story about it, and like everything went wrong, like right out of the gate, like you know the you know, the boat wasn't starting. And then, you know, we got out there, all the lines got tangled up and then they threw their anchor and it, and it, so everything was going awry. And this first mate guy was just going crazy because, you know, he had like set up this interview. He's freaking out thinking like, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be writing about all this horrible stuff. And the, the guy who was running the show, the captain, you know, while this guy's kind of freaking out and trying to like, tell me, don't write about this, don't about, and he just said, listen, there's always going to be problems. It's how you deal with the problems that matters. And I thought that was a great moment. And, you know, it was kind of like delivered a lot of PR lessons in one where sometimes you can't control the story, but kind of his matter of fact approach, you know, and it, it made it into the story. And I just thought it made this, you know, it kind of made it, made the story work and it, you know, made people realize, all right, these guys had some issues, but, you know, they dealt with them, you know, which we all do. So, yeah. And I, I finally thought of the craziest PR story that I had, I, I've experienced. And it, it was again in the reporter's chair rather than in the being the PR person. But um, I used to cover business and in Erie, Pennsylvania, covering business means covering a lot of factories and manufacturing organizations. So I did a lot of, I did a lot of factory tours and um, I showed up at one where the communications person had set up for me to kind of do a tour and, and do a feature story about their, their company. And when I got there, I got put into a holding room and I kept getting told that the, the PR person was getting pulled, got pulled into a meeting and couldn't meet with me right away, which I thought was really odd because that PR person's job is to try to get media coverage for their company. And I'm the media, right? And they had set this up. <laughs> So finally, so a different person comes into the room and says, I'm really sorry, we have to, we have to cancel today's interview. We're, we'll, we'll follow up with you and have to make you come back another time. And this was out in the hinterlands. I had to drive probably 45 minutes to this interview, then had to drive back to the office now without a story 45 minutes later and figure out what I'm doing with the rest of my day. But I later got a call from the PR person that afternoon who mentioned that they got laid off while I was there in the office to do that interview. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they, they chose to lay this person off while they were coordinating a feature story in the local newspaper about their company. So I don't know what lesson to impart from that, but that was certainly the craziest PR story I've ever been part of. So, Jeez. Okay. No, no, both. The, I mean, I, I, both of those are, are fun, entertaining. I, you know, Scott, I, I really also think, what I what I took from yours was just, you know, sometimes authenticity is maybe one of the best things that you can convey and communicate, because I, th I have to imagine a lot of organizations, I mean, certainly want to play to our strengths, communicate about what's great about us, and certainly not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, shout about our weaknesses. But I think a lot of times, People are almost afraid to, to do exactly what that guy just did is acknowledge that, hey, look, you know, we're, we're great, but like we're also fallible human mistakes are made and 
No, exactly. And then, you know, I think you summed up the takeaway uh, far better than I ever have, actually. Yeah, it was an, <laughs> it was an authentic <laughs> moment. You know, the guy. Right. And to me, it just cha it changed everything of that. To be honest, it changed how I wrote about the piece and it changed the atmosphere on the boat. And they caught a lot of fish from then on out. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that influenced it. But yeah, to me, it was uh, like a really authentic moment of a guy who kind of knew who he was and knew the deal and was, uh, you know, just kind of laid it out there. And not named Gilligan. So but, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, his first mate guy was kind of like very Gilligan-esque. You know, so he was like freaking out and this guy's just watching him like spin around like the Tasmanian devil and he just said you know he said what he said there so it was, it was great uh, and Peter yours is is definitely fits that you know hiring and firing and attracting and retaining talent and it's yeah I mean, just and, I don't even know there's so many so many yeah there's and there's something to be said for timing I mean you know <laughs> if, if they had waited a day to make that decision it would have it would have made such a difference now I never ended up covering that company I was just like there's just you know there's no way I can go out there and do a, a feature story about this company now so yeah. uh, if this is how they're treating their people so um so yeah it, it was it was uh it was really interesting uh, to, to see that, you know, the, the, the decision-making behind uh, how they handled that situation. So That's, and the company didn't even tell me what happened. The person had a, not only got fired that day, they had a call to me and apologized for like bailing on an interview because they probably just had their worst professional moment of their life. Wow. Um, so, yeah. It says, it says a lot about that person though. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. That's what true. Was, what kind of advice or, you know, what would be one message that you would want to be communicating to an association marketplace about, you know, bringing these types of things together, uh, what it, what it looks like to do, uh, PR media communications, messaging, storytelling. Well, so one thing we, regardless of the kind of client we work with, whether it's a, a company or a nonprofit or an association, um, we think it's really important to start any of your, your work in PR and communications with your organizational goals in mind. What are the two or three things that you are most uh, interested in trying to accomplish as an organization over a period of time? So really starting to identify kind of the highest level goals that you have as an organization and then figuring out which audiences or which, which types of people you need to help you achieve those goals. You know, is it reaching a certain type of customer, a certain type of partner, a certain type of, of, of potential ally in your work, and then building your PR and communication strategy around reaching those people in, in kind of advancement of the goals that you have as an organization. A lot of us, regardless of the, the organization we try to work for, tend to get caught up in the tactics or the day-to-day, -day, you know, pitching or, you know, podcasts are hot, hot now, so we're going to get on a podcast without necessarily thinking about, all right, are, is a podcast the best way for us to be communicating about what we're doing? And if so, what, pot, what types of podcasts, which, which audiences are the ones that are most valuable for us to reach? And really focusing your effort in those areas versus just kind of being all over the place and 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 pursuing media placements and activities uh, for the sake of getting those things, if that makes sense. No, I I, I think that that was that's such a you know I mean you're you're defining strategy and you're also talking about you know kind of 
why organizations exist and what they try to do. And, and I, I imagine sometimes it, it can be hard to always stay connected to that, or, or maybe if you have never really started from that place and you're just kind of out there doing what seems right or what seems hot, you know, I, 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 I imagine, especially because digital, you know, digital has just transformed communication. Everything's immediate. There's probably a lot of challenges, a lot of things grabbing at, at decision makers, organizations wanting to say, well, we have to do these things because it's where everybody is. Right. That's, that's clearly not uh, the, the, the best way to approach it. Absolutely. If you if if your goal is to reach a professional audience and you're putting all of your social media efforts into Facebook instead of LinkedIn, you're probably missing a great opportunity. So it's it's really kind of understanding who you need to reach and 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 putting more of your effort there than in just like saying, all right, well, Facebook is the biggest social network, so we have to put all of our our energy there. So um and in the same way with media too. I mean, a, an article in the New York Times doesn't do you a whole lot of good if your if your audience is based in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, you know, you know, uh, something that's much more based on where you are and and focusing on who your core audience there is is probably way more valuable to you than than necessarily getting the biggest splash somewhere. Yeah, and I, I think you know, Brian, kind of to your point, you know, I think leadership sometimes, you know they see what's hot or they, you know, they just, you know, come through the door, you know, we need to start getting some PR, you know, so, you know, kind of with that idea that Peter talked about kind of beginning with the end in mind, having a strategy, you know, that's not only more effective in, in actually achieving your goals, but it also helps you level set with leadership in terms of, you know, here's what we're trying to do. You know, here's the plan, you know, the plan can always shift, but if you have that plan in place, and what you're trying to achieve and you want to, you know, audience identification is really key. You know, you want to drive toward, you know, being able to connect with that audience in the most effective way possible. If you, if you can lay out that roadmap, you know, you're way ahead of the game because you're just not doing the scatter shot, you know, try this, try that, you know, you, you have a plan in place where you can actually drive toward that. So, and, and that helps with, you know, again, it, it helps with every element of it, you know, kind of going back to storytelling, you know, stories are great, but not every piece of PR, you know, justifies the story. You know, sometimes it can get in the way, to be honest. So you, you need to think about it and you don't just tell a story for the sake of telling a story. You know, you want to have a story that has a message and I'm telling this story for a reason. You know, I mean, I guess my example from the boat is a good one. It, it took an hour for me to get the, what the actual takeaway is because you, you shared it with me. <laughs> but but no, I mean, that, that's a story. You know, it's a great story, but it's a great story because it's delivering a message beyond the story itself. You know, and I think if you have a plan in place, that stuff starts coming together for you. Well, and I, I that's yeah, I think that, that that that's such a great point. You know, the 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 plan because I know, you know, all great organizations tend to have a, a really good working plan. They work with boards; they're always actively adjusting that. But I think. It, you know, the area of, of communications, media, and PR is probably the area that is the trickiest for them to take something that's really high level and boil it down to what we're talking about in terms of like strategy, effectiveness, delivery, and all that other stuff, because that, that requires a lot of specialization, expertise, and, and forethought. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that's such a, an, an important point that the absence of a plan, you're obviously 
shooting, shooting in the wind, but also even taking that plan to guide you to have benchmarks to really bring you back sometimes, right? When, if you're getting off course, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, what, where, where do we need to circle back to? What, what is our real story or our, our vision and, and our values and that kind of stuff? I want to ask about, you know, obviously we've had a pandemic, you know, there, there are far reaching impacts of that across, you know, society, culture. I wonder how, how, how would, how do you feel the, the conversation has shifted for maybe, you know, associations as a result of that in terms of messaging, communication, or, or what kind of things have you seen, or, or maybe would you want associations to consider that maybe they aren't? Yeah, I think associations, um, the ones who, um, who I, I don't want to say took advantage of the, the pandemic, but those who I think showed their value most during the pandemic were those who saw an opportunity to really bring their members together and, uh, and, and help them um, kind of share and, and network with each other to help, you know, each of their individual members working together to kind of learn from each other and build best practices on how to handle the pandemic. I'll give an example from one of the clients we work with, which is uh, the Community Foundation Public Awareness Initiative. It's a group of about 135 community foundations around the country who both raise and distribute funds to nonprofits. Early in the pandemic, we've, we have been doing communications and PR work for that group for four years now. Uh, early in the pandemic, we decided that there would be some, some value to getting the communications teams together from those foundations once or twice a week on Zoom to kind of talk about how they were adjusting their communications around the pandemic and, and start to, to have them have an opportunity to kind of share what's working for them with their peers. That little aha moment we had that we could kind of, as an association, play convener for that segment of our members and bring them together under kind of our umbrella, but really making it a, a, a safe space for their members to share best practices and ideas was like this magic light bulb going off on like, this is how we can be even more valuable to our members than we ever have been before. And we thought we started this as a short-term project. It's like, well, you know, these teams are all, you know, kind of struggling with the same thing. We'll do, we'll do biweekly uh, Zoom calls with whoever wants to show up for a month or two, and then we'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, we're still doing those calls weekly now. And what we've been able to do is really build a strong community of peers within our organization. We've built really strong individual relationships with a lot of those communications teams that we didn't have before. And they've built um, relationships with each other. And they recognize that we're the reason why they have that relationship now. Five of those community foundations, for instance, decided to do a virtual series for their individual communities um, in which they brought in these big name speakers to kind of come and present to their individual communities. None of those five foundations could have afforded to do that on their own, but because they were able to kind of pool resources and do this where that speaker was speaking like to those five individual communities all at once, and then they could convene on their own and, and have like a follow-up discussion with their donors about what they learned. Those types of those types of conversations and partnerships are happening now because we saw an opportunity as an association to kind of bring people together in a new way and and provide a service that was really valuable to them at a really important time for them. 
And I think the associations that maybe did that in some other ways, but, but, but saw this as an opportunity to, to really bring people together and, and uh, assert some leadership at a crucial time are, are those that I think really made use of a bad situation to, to really show value in a really important way. I, I love that example. And, and we've seen a lot of that with our clients and, and, and people across the landscape where it, it's almost kind of like we've seen, you know, associations demonstrate why they're why the association industry in general is so powerful and wonderful, where a lot of them were kind of setting aside almost the business agenda mm-hmm. and putting the members first and just trying to come alongside them and care for them. Uh, you know, facilitate, like you're saying, or, you know, do things that probably aren't overly significant in and of themselves. But it was it was that approach. It was that mentality. It was that, you know, we just we want to be a better partner in their lives and, and, and really call a spade a spade. Recognize that we're experiencing something collectively that's that's hugely life changing and impactful. And, and therefore, you know, we probably need to set aside the business part to be a better helper. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and that was done instead of having that annual conference and doing a lot of the normal things that associations do or feel like they have to do, you know, the, the association business model has really been challenged over the last 10, 20 years as technology has taken over and the way people communicate has changed. And I think the pandemic really allowed a lot of associations to rethink their work and really meet people where they are at a really important time and, and almost start to build some new structures for how they might interact with their members moving forward too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, again, to your point, like a collective impact, obviously every element of our lives were impacted by the pandemic and associations, you know, as organizations were no different. I mean, so it, it caused them to reflect and assess, you know, what they're there for in the first place, but also to, you know, to think about some new ways that they could add value. You know, I think there's just a real, a ton of force, kind of forced creativity that evolved out of the pandemic as far as, you know, and Peter's example is great in terms of just pulling this group together, you know, which, you know, it wasn't necessarily difficult, but, it, you know, it was just something that just hadn't occurred, but it was, you know, it just made sense within, kind of the parameters of the pandemic that we can kind of come together on this. Um, you know, with a lot of our work we did, you know, we started doing a lot of virtual press conferences, which we'd never done before, hmm. which, you know, and we found that, you know, there was a ton of benefits that we hadn't even anticipated to those. I mean, there's still something to be said for the in-person press conference, but for instance, for one of our clients, uh, it's a nonprofit that one warm coat um, that focuses on, you know, collecting coats for those in need. And we did a virtual press conference with them, but we kind of started thinking like, how can we take this to the next level? And, you know, it, it kind of came to us, you know, they had a partnership with the Weather Channel and we figured, all right, why don't we get a meteorologist from Weather Channel to, you know, basically it's just a matter of logging into a Zoom call, you know, and kind of give his winter forecast and like talk about the dangers of cold, you know, so, Again, if we would have been in the old world, we probably just never would have thought of that. We would have done the routine press conference, but the kind of ease of bringing in value add and partners, you know, and he was happy to do it. Uh, the one challenge was he was <laughs> during the, the, the press conference, he, he had actually just taken his son to get his driver's license. So he was driving back with his son 
at the wheel <laughs> while he was on this press conference. Like he's like, and every five minutes he's like, stop, you know, and just like, but, uh, <laughs> so he apologized to a great extent in terms of like, you know, that timing didn't work out great. So, but we think we're going to have him back this year and we're going to, you know, make sure he's stationary and not with a, a, a first time driver, but, you know, it actually added, you know, a little bit of humor to the whole situation. And, but again, it was just, you know, again, kind of going back to that, the creativity that was born out of, you know, obviously a tragic situation, but, you know, as far as the overall pandemic, but, you know, it really did force people to rethink and, and reevaluate. So, yeah. And even building on the virtual news conference idea, one thing that I think could be really valuable to associations, especially uh, are figuring out um, how to, how to get their members in front of the media in, in new ways too. So one tactic that we've been using a bit um, with one of our clients is, is doing virtual press briefings with editorial teams at specific news outlets. So for mm -hmm. instance, we could get four foundation leaders from across the country together uh, to meet with the editorial staff of a, of, a, of a newspaper that covers their industry and have them each be able to kind of bring some stories about what they're seeing in the field and answer questions from those reporters in a virtual setting. Um, and in doing so, it starts to build some, some relationships and stickiness between those foundations and the, the journalists so that when the journalists are covering stories later, they know that the San Diego Foundation is working on a project around uh, racial equity in San Diego. And maybe they'll call up the San Diego Foundation as a source for that story and be able to spotlight the work that they're doing in their news coverage. So finding new ways to connect your members with, you know, opportunities in the media, you know, things that are were very difficult to do before. But now that we've all become so much more comfortable using Zoom and, and other virtual tools, finding new ways to kind of bring the story to the reporter and, and bring your members uh, and get them some visibility in some new ways. That's a fascinating point that I, I want to I want to drill down onto that a little bit more because I, I think that that definitely has a lot of application the idea of equipping you know so many national associations are built around regions or have chapters and all the other stuff and while you know obviously national has their framework of, of communicating all 50 states etc I, I, I see a lot of times it's probably difficult to feel like at the local level or, or you know all chapters are relatively equally equipped to do, that type of communication or engagement. So what you just said seems like from a model standpoint, that would have a lot of value. Now, I wanna, I wanna understand some more of kind of the tactics about what, what would make something like that work really well. Because what you described seems like it's almost too easy. So tell me- yeah, it, it takes a lot of work to pull it off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the model itself is pretty easy. It, it requires a lot of work to pull it off though. I mean, you, okay. you, have, to, you have to identify who in your membership is- both um, equipped to and interested in putting themselves out there and having an hour and a 90 minute conversation with a bunch of nosy reporters, right? And then it requires doing some pre-interviewing of all of them to figure out what they're working on and how their stories all fit together. So you don't have four people who are coming on and all saying the same thing. You need to, you need to kind of do a bit of pre-work to figure out this organization is doing great work in this area and, and, you know, kind of coaching them up to say, this is what you're going to talk about. And then it requires figuring out what are some of the questions those reporters might be interested in asking and making sure you're providing some talking points for them. 
or giving them some guidance on the kind of examples they need to have at their fingertips to do this. And then, and then of course, you have to identify the right media outlet and you have to pitch it to the media outlet. There's a lot of nuanced work that has to go into pulling this off, but when you do it and when, it, when you actually get those people in a, in a virtual room talking to each other, the, the outcomes of it are tremendous because they've each had an opportunity to basically pitch their work to a team of reporters who cover their field. They've built a bit of a relationship with those reporters. And in some cases, they've helped a reporter who is working on a story and may have a question for these four leaders that they can then answer for him or her in real time. So he's got four sources or she has four sources for that story. You get some immediate news coverage out of it, and then you get some long-term success out of it. But it does require some legwork. It's not something you can do every day or every week. I think you have to kind of pick your spots on it, but it could be really valuable for an association with the right partner to be able to, to do this and really show value to those members and really kind of elevate the work of whatever industry they work in, in, in the media. Yeah. I think there's a huge, you know, there's a PR element to it, but also the, you know, kind of the professional development and the interaction that can occur, you know, to Peter's example, when you have, you know, the San Diego community foundation talking to what's going on in the Wichita foundation, you know, and those connections, you know, and it's a model that could work in associations, you know, I mean, to your point, Brian, I mean, a lot of people are kind of working on a local level kind of in isolation to some extent, you know, obviously there's some networks they have and there's, they have their, you know, the associations, but, you know, even like in the agricultural space, you know, you have the, the dairy association, you have the cattle association, the, you know, across the board, they have, you know, they're talking about different animals, <laughs> but they have the same issues, right? I mean, they're trying to, a lot of their issues intersect and, you know, if they could get together and have a weekly conversation, their communicators and membership people, I think they'd see a ton of connections and get new ideas. Now, from a PR perspective, when we facilitate this type thing, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll see examples of, of trend stories, right? You know, it's happening, you know, in the community foundation example, well, this is happening in San Diego, this is happening in New York, there's something going on here. You know, and again, to use like the agricultural example, as we would facilitate something like that, there might be stories that evolve that are relevant to all those groups that would have national significance. So, and to make those connections. So it's kind of like something that just wins across the board as far as professional development, creating those connections, but also kind of rolling it up to, you know, back to the story, you know, what, what are the, some of the stories that are relevant to maybe our specific association and also kind of, um, you know, the industry we're working in. Well, I, you know, I mean, I think of, you talk about professional development, I think the other impressive thing is, you know, let's, let's call you know, so people that get into the media for an association or local level become kind of the brand ambassadors. And so talk about a great way to, you know, recruit or improve your, your connections across your footprint when you're elevating members, not just the national organization or the staffers, but actual members who are going out there telling that story vicariously by, by association, there's, there's a ton of power in that too. And I also am hearing you kind of say as well that this is also very important in terms of kind of not just, not, not what I would say controlling the narrative, but being able to have a better way to connect that narrative across a landscape that's going to listen to it differently. Being here in the Washington, D.C. area and seeing a lot of the national news and all the other stuff, 
you know, the narratives are one thing in one place, but, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, that's going to be very, very different. And so having, having the capacity, I think, to have engagement for both audiences, there's a ton of power in that. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, no, and there's, the thing is, there's similarities, but there's key differences too. So, and you learn from both, right? You know, yeah. in Des Moines, we're, we are experiencing what's going on in DC, but we also have this unique challenge. Right. You know? yeah. And just having that awareness, you know, I think just adds value to everyone involved. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if your goal in this too is media relations, I mean, you're providing a real service to the media outlets that you're trying to get to tell your story by you know, bringing new perspectives and, and voices to them, which is always a challenge. Uh, if you're, especially if you're covering a national beat, if you're a reporter based in DC or New York, you know, it's really hard to find those voices in Iowa and in South Dakota and Arizona, you, you know, unless you're hopping on an airplane every day, it's really hard to, to get examples that are truly national and representative and kind of reflect what's happening across the landscape. So, as an association, if you can get your members together and bring bring their story to the reporter, you're not only kind of influencing how they see an issue, but you're building you know some real credibility with that reporter that's going to pay off down the line too. That reporter is going to know to come back to you when she's working on a story that might relate to your work and tap you as somebody who can connect them to your members and give your members visibility again in the future. I love it. No, I, 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 it's hard for me to even, I don't, I don't know that I want to dig into anything else because this, this last point in this conversation about really effectively bridging national and local and creating a framework to be the resource and the engine behind all of that, I think, I think is hugely powerful, especially coming out of, you know, a pandemic and having organizations really trying to do a better job of connecting, engaging, and, and, you know, building back, or, or maybe what they're, they've learned is they're recalibrating their messaging entirely, because yeah. maybe the pandemic revealed a need to shift. Well, um, and the other, the other layer to this is, you know, there's, you know, a lot of the issues that a lot of the social issues that have evolved impact across the board in different ways, you know, whether it be racial equity, you know, I know Peter with the Community Foundations Group had a conversation about back to work, right? I mean, like, what are you going to do about remote, you know, which is a conversation I don't think ever would have evolved if this group wasn't together, right? Yeah. You know, what are you going to be doing in San Diego as far as with your, what, with your team? And what are you thinking, you know? And that's just, you know, people in the same industry who face the same issues, but are able to just share these ideas. It's so valuable. No, that's huge. Yeah. So um, any last tips or tricks you would give an association for developing any kind of media contacts, any any places you would point somebody to? Because I'm sure not all of them have the best capacity for that. So, yeah. So one one thing that we find, especially when capacity is limited, is to you know go back to that original exercise of what your goals and key audiences are and then identify it might be five or 10 journalists who, who you know reach those cover what you care about and reach those audiences. And instead of just like blindly pitching an, a huge media list, really focus your effort on like building relationships with those five or 10 reporters and cultivating them and showing them value and, you know, doing things like, you know, bringing your members together and, and having a virtual conversation with that reporter, things where you're not making an over ask, but you're showing your expertise and value to that journalist so that that journalist then comes back to you later and and 
you know, spotlights your association or your members in, in ways that are really valuable and meaningful. Media relations, people focus on the media part of it and not the relations part of it. If you can think about how you can, if you can kind of provide a customer service to that, to a reporter or an editor when they're working on something, and in some cases, even point them to a resource that's outside of your organization and build some credibility that way, that's incredibly powerful. And it, it really gives you an opportunity to not just be having to pitch stories, but have the reporter come to you when they're working on something already. And that that's when your job becomes very easy because you, you don't have to sell an idea on a reporter. The reporter already knows that they're working on this thing and they're coming to you because they know you can deliver something really valuable to them. And the more you can do that, even if it's just with a small handful of high value reporters, um, the the results you're going to get are going to be so much greater. Yeah, I think the I relationship thing is, uh, is huge, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I think, you know, never forget the, the value of a genuine compliment. You know, um, if, if you, <laughs> you know, if a reporter who's covering your industry or the space you're interested in, you know, does a story that you genuinely think was a great story, you know, reach out to him or her and, you know, say, Hey, I thought this was a great piece, you know, and you can do a soft plug there. You know, I, you know, I'm working in this field. If you ever want to discuss any issues, you know, so build that relationship, but you know, reporters are human too. And, you know, they, they get a lot of flack. So if they can feel what they get is a genuine compliment, you know, there's value there. And that's how, that's how you build any relationship, right. You know, being genuine, authentic, and, you know, putting the time in. I love it. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Don't forget the relations part of media. That's, that's perfect. Well, look, taking up a lot of time and I'm so glad to have you guys on any final shout outs you'd like to make. Well, uh, can I put a, a, a quick plug in? Um, of course. So Do whatever uh, you want. So I'm the co-author of a book called Modern Media Relations for Nonprofits. I wrote it with uh, Antoinette Kerr, who's a, a former journalist and, and consultant down in North Carolina. We kind of put it together in a way so that it could be really practical and, and high value. I think it, the, the lessons in there apply for not just nonprofits, but for associations as well. So if, if somebody's looking for kind of a quick 101 guide on how to do media relations effectively, I think it, it could be a good resource for them. Awesome. Yeah. Outstanding, gentlemen. My shout out would be for, for Peter's book because it is, honestly, it's a very valuable tool for someone, you know, really at any level. But if, if you're really trying to get, get a sense of kind of building the roadmap, it, it's valuable. No, perfect. Is, is it available on Amazon? It is. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, well, I, 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 you'll have one more purchase after we're done because I'm going to go grab <laughs> it myself. So awesome. Sale made. Thank you to you both for making the time today. This is, this was a great conversation and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Terrific. Thank Thanks you for Brian. having us. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. 
The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.